Hi guys, it's Jess. Welcome back to the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast where I discuss all things style, wellness, pop culture, and whatever else comes up from week to week. Thank you for joining me again or for joining me for the first time. If you're new here, stand and be acknowledged. That is actually quite an appropriate way to open this episode because today's guest is someone who has just like been a blessing to social media as far as I'm concerned. I refer to him as Twitter's Black Pastor. His name is Solomon Missouri. He does these amazing threads of just just goodness. I think his most famous one was him advising Steph Curry's father not to go through with this divorce. You do not want to be out here in these streets. Dating is a wreck. Um, Just to give some quick context, I interviewed him for an article that I'm hoping I still get to write. It seems to be on pause right now about the relationship between sex, religion, and shame. It's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart as a Black woman who is from Atlanta, who was raised in the tradition of Southern Black Baptist churches. And as I have gotten older and gotten out into the world and met so many different people and read so many different things and listened to so many different things just to expand my own understanding of myself and the world around me and how I contribute to the world. My thinking about organized religion, particularly Christianity, particularly the way that it has been bastardized by so many people for political gain and social gain and power, my relationship to religion has altered. I have questioned for a while if there is a place for a woman like me who is um, pro-choice, who um, would like to consider myself an ally of the LGBTQIA plus community. I don't really think you can call yourself an ally. I work towards that. Um, I'm single. I don't have children. I, you know, have sex. Like, you know, I curse. All these things that we have been raised our whole life to kind of think aren't good or make you like a quote unquote bad girl. These are things that I have been thinking about a lot and whether or not there's a place for someone like me who is just more progressive or more liberal in my views than what the church has raised me to be. Um, Solomon Missouri has kind of reaffirmed for me that there are pastors in the world who see people as people and who truly want to carry through the message of what I think all religion ultimately is, which is like help out people in need and don't be an asshole. Um, I think he's very brilliant and thoughtful and insightful, and he was so instrumental to helping me even think deeper about this topic that I'm researching and want to write about because I wish that I had a pastor like this when I was growing up. It would have saved me from so many issues of confidence and self-esteem and shame and the way those things impact you as an adult. It's incredible. So um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. It's It's a lot because, again, it's an interview for an article that I hope to get to eventually write and publish. It's going to give you some things to think about. Please go into it with an open mind and be gentle because y'all know I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Um, Really quickly, I have a fashion tip for you. If you are new here, I'm just going to tell you now, I am all about consuming and um, purchasing fashion in a way that is sustainable and intentional. The one true way to 
actually help out the environment as a consumer of fashion is to rewear your clothes. Find new purposes for them. Don't just throw stuff out. Even when you donate things or take things to thrift stores, there's still a really good chance that that stuff will end up in a landfill. So the best thing that you can do is make use of the clothes that you have and don't, you know, work on having the mindset of like constantly having to have something new. So I'm always looking for ways to rework things that are in my closet is one of my favorite things to do. It's a really fun way to be creative and just to shop your own closet. So one style tip that I used this week was I have a cardigan that I really like and it actually got a little bit cold this week. So I didn't want to wear it in the the traditional way that you wear a cardigan. So I turned it around and put the buttons in the back, which gave like this deep V in the back, which is, you know, just a little bit of zhuzh. And I kind of pulled it off the shoulder a little bit. Yes, I work in a professional office, but I also do kind of like push the bounds a little bit um, to be quite clear. Because if I have to sit here for like eight hours, I'm a little cute while I do it. So, you know, that's just me. I don't know your life. But if you have some cardigans that you are holding on to that you don't want to toss out, try turning it around backwards. If you need an example of this, check out my Instagram. In my highlights, um, I have just a bunch of looks that I've done. So I have an example of that in there. I will put my Instagram handle at not Carrie Bradshaw in the episode description if you want to check it out. Thank you guys. Stay tuned. I really hope you um, get something positive from this episode. Talk soon. Um, So this piece is already kicking my ass. Um, I started out with a very vague question of like, how do you have a one night stand? Like, if you are a Christian woman who is um, dating in the world and you're not making a, a, an active choice to be celibate, you're not making an active choice yeah. to be abstinent, and you're on that spectrum or that journey between being single and seeking partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was talking to so many of my female friends about this and what kept coming up is like oh my god we have so much shame we are so Mm -hmm. afraid that um owning our sexuality leaning into it all of these things separates us from god um Mm -hmm. what really drove it home i don't know if you remember um you may or may not have spoken about this on twitter um ari lennox months ago was saying that she hated that she even had a desire for um, romantic fulfillment or um, for a sexual relationship because she felt like it was separating her from being great, basically. And all these women were responding and, you know, me too. And that's why I just decided, like, I'm just going to be absent. I'm not going to, you know. And I even had some of my line sisters reach out to me, like, what do you think about this? Because I, I feel the same way. And I'm like, why do we, why do we think that? Mm-hmm having a sexual identity separates us from God. And what it really made me realize too in therapy is I did not even talk to God about partnership. It's a part of my life that I cut God out, completely compartmentalized it because I was too ashamed to go to him and say, this is what I want because I'd already been programmed to believe that I didn't deserve that. 
because you're not as pure and you're not as pious as, as the other girls. And society kind of shows you that, like being from Atlanta, all my friends married. <laughs> and the ones who are married are the ones who were more virtuous than me, um, to be honest, you know, according to those standards. And I just wanted to know, because I read your threads and they've been so helpful for me in um, addressing that shame and in addressing how I feel about myself and what I deserve. So my first question is, number one, and it's a big question, <laughs> what uh -huh. does the Bible actually tell us or what does Christianity actually tell us about ourselves as sexual beings or does it address it at all or is it just you ain't supposed to look at that part of yourself at all okay um allow me to answer that question in four compartments uh, i held up two fours but that's only me one okay uh four compartments um the first is a uh how we understand the bible as a document um <clears throat> and a document that is contextualized. And that is to say that the Bible has a space, uh, a place, a time, um, a context, um, and a people, right? So this is a document that was composed by a specific group of people. Uh, let me back up. First, it wasn't written. It was orally passed on. Right. And so the, the document is expressing the values, um, the culture. It is expressing the goals of that particular group of people. Now, why is that important? Because one of the aims of this people uh, that found themselves to be uh, dominated or uh, found themselves to be taken over by different, different and varied groups of people throughout uh, generations. One of the main goals of the of of this particular uh, tribe or particular tribes plural of people that we come to know as the Jews was to preserve their culture. Well, how do we think of culture being preserved? It is preserved through making more people. Right. Right. And so everything that the sexual ethic that we derive from the Bible is propagated by the idea of this group of people trying to preserve cultural identity, trying to preserve um, who they are, who they were, is all uh, manifested through making more people. So there's not a sexual ethic per se um, that is relational or related to desire, fulfillment, joy, happiness, any of those things. Uh, the document that we come to know as the Bible that is passed on through oral tradition for generations has one particular goal in mind when it comes to reproduction, and that is making more people. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is when we understand um, that the Bible was the, the sexual ethic that is propagated through the Bible uh, is for if I sound too preachy, just let me know, to, like, calm down. OK, I'm cool. from the South. I'm used to this. This is my journey. Right. <laughs> Good. OK, so uh, if we know the uh, if if the Bible, the way that we know this document, uh, whose sexual ethic is to propagate or propagated is to make more people, um, we have to ask ourselves, like, 
okay, so who benefits from making more people? And then who burdened, who's burdened? So the second part is who benefits, who burdened, right? And so um, how does property pass along? It's passed along through sons. Um, how is the name passed along? It's passed along through sons. How is power passed along? It's passed along through sons. So all of this is an attempt to not only make more people, but make more male people, right? right? These are goals. Women do not have a full um, identity in the text. They are not right. fleshed out, right? right? And so if we're understanding, well, some, some women are, some women are fleshed out, but not yeah, fleshed some, out. But not, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, because most women in the Bible who are of, of consequence, some of them didn't, weren't even named, right? So we didn't even uh, get uh, the names or I, they were not identified, right? Uh, so they would say, you know, stuff like the, uh, the widow of Zarephath, right? That's, Zarephath is not her last name. This is like the place that she's in. That's where she lived. Yeah. Um, so um, the burden of making more people or making more male sons, making more male people is on women, right? So this is their task, this is their duty. Right. Women are not conceptualized as, yeah, uh, as whole people. They, their bodies are not considered as anything more than- Vessels. Incubators, right, vessels. Uh, and so because of that, um, I don't think it's a healthy thing for us to, um, for us to uh, extract or for us to um, pull a, um, a sexual ethic from the text because let's, okay, so take me to the third thing, burden benefits. It benefits men, it's burden of women and that's still true as of today. Uh, but then it takes me to my third point, uh, which goes to the idea of uh, women are property in the text. Um, and because women are property in the text, um, they are um, sexually blank. It it doesn't matter if they are are happy, or if the uh, if they receive joy, or um, you know what they, it, it desire fulfillment does not matter because they are a blank slate. They're not. Their purpose is to bring forth more male children. I'm gonna turn my car on because it got it got hot out here. Hold on. <laughs> so. Um, um, that being the case, the Bible is not a sex book. Right. And it's not a relationship book. And one of the ways that we have abused the text is that we've taken a book that gave us a screenshot into people's uh, lives with a divine force that they knowed, uh, knew as, uh, as God um, or Elohim. Uh, and it, and we, we twisted it into a document that we set our relationships to. We twisted it into a document that we um, uh, tried to standardize or, or normalize um, sex and sexual practices with. Uh, we turned it into a document um, that we um, used to uh, manipulate the feelings uh, and experiences of women in order to tell them that this is what makes a virtuous woman and this is what makes a woman unvirtuous, right? But um, that's that's because we use it incorrectly. And we use it incorrectly because we've not studied it. Mm. Most of the people who continue to use deeply problematic, harmful uh, readings of the Bible, and that's the, the fourth part, right? All of these things are decisions. 
when you come to the Bible as a text, it's a decision. And you're making decisions the entire time that you're in relationship with the text. I got to go back to three. The Bible is not a sex book, right? It's not a book where, where, whereby we determine our sexuality. It's not a book where uh, desire is mapped out. It's not a, a book where pleasure is affirmed, right? Uh, it is a book um, that people are documenting their relationship and their, their experiences with a divine God, okay? So the Bible is not a sex book, that's three. Uh, going into four, um, once it is that we are able to discern that the Bible is not a sex book, it's not a relationship book, um, then we're able to uh, come to terms with the idea that the Bible has readings and that we are coming as an intelligent person uh, we are looking, we are unfolding the Bible for ourselves, searching for that witness in order to pair it with our witness, right? Mm. So if if this is where, where, where they saw God, I am seeing where I see God, and that's an intersection. Those are points of connection. It, it lands with you because you are noticing the class of uh, book of Hebrews says we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, right? So the, you are we are finding these threads of connectivity between the, the ancient witness of the text and the witness that we are experiencing now. And so all of those four components go into this idea of uh, how we have come to know the Bible uh, as uh, the way that we know it. But then to answer your question implicitly is also to say um, that there are so many ways that we read the text. Right. And even in the text itself, um, there are so many places where it's I don't want to say hypocritical, but it, it, it gives you it, it's counter um, the, the narrative becomes counterintuitive. Right. So the, there's a story um, in, in the Bible uh, about a woman who um, is a prostitute and this man who is um, uh, a chief official in his tribe, uh, who, he loses his wife, but he's not married to this woman. He sees this woman out somewhere. They have sex. He tells her, uh, she tells him, give me your cord uh, as proof that they have sex. Uh, she gets pregnant. Uh, months later, she comes and, and has his cord and says, okay, this is your cord. You are the father of my child, right? I say all that, that, that story in a bad way to say that that is a way that the subversiveness of the text is used in order to show us uh, how marginalized people, another marginalized people group, women, right, are able to escape their marginalization through um, cleverness, through um, intellect, through um, being, uh, as my mom would say, wily, right? Mm -hmm. So being uh, clever, right? All of these ways are ways for survival. That's if anything. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I'm, especially as I'm looking at all of these, another piece of content that I'm working on is that I feel like women, especially black women, because that's who I care about the most, feels like we're in an identity crisis because of what you just said. It feels like we Black women are constantly being punished, even by each other, for what we've learned to do out of survival. This whole mm -hmm. idea of, of the soft movement, the feminine aesthetic, the clean aesthetic, all of these things to counter um, the strong Black woman trope. Mm -hmm. and 
from my perspective, I, I want us to reconsider the way we define strength because I hate that we define strength against trauma. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you could, could come up with another word or, or another way to, you know, like a woman has been cheated on for, like when Beyonce came out with Lemonade, oh, she's just so strong for, why is that the measure right. of strength? But, you know, right. um, for lack of a better term, Black women are being punished for what they had to do out of survival. And you're being looked at as less of a full human. Mm -hmm. by, oh, just lean into your, your, your femininity. And mm -hmm. baby, I got to take my trash out though. So mm -hmm. I got to let my trash pile up until a man come along and say, I'll mm -hmm. do this for mm -hmm. you. It's, it's mm -hmm. the survival techniques that we have come, that we've had to come up with because we mm -hmm. haven't had the the benefit of being viewed um, as feminine as white women have. White women in distress, mm -hmm. everybody stop everything. Black mm -hmm. women in distress, mm -hmm. she'll figure it out. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I understand wanting to not operate in survival mode. I understand wanting to depart from that a bit, but I never want to be someone who isn't capable. And mm -hmm. I, I don't want us to, to, to vilify the black womanhood from the, the, the lens of the strength we've had to have. I don't want that to be vilified in order to achieve this level of what's ultimately still virtue. You're still looking to be what I think is a patriarchal idea of a worthy woman. You're still seeking that while diminishing the cleverness required, the, the what is it, ingenuity of what's mm -hmm. required to be a woman who succeeds in this world. And at a certain point, is anyone going to decide how, how they want to feel about their desire, their satisfaction, all of those things, because no one talks to us about that. As girls, even if you learn sex education is so sterile, it's, mm -hmm. it's the biology. And it's, you even learn about the biology of the pleasure of a man. No one mm -hmm. ever teaches you about the pleasure you get as a woman. And in my conversations and interviews with um, other women about the way we have been having unempowered sex for so long, it's because who, who was going to tell you what an orgasm was supposed to feel like? You don't mm -hmm. get to have those conversations when you, in a Bible Belt. No one's going to tell you that. Mm -hmm. No mm -hmm. one is going to... Um, so you go into sex as a young woman thinking that men know everything about your pleasure. And then like you hit your 30s and you like, these niggas don't know nothing. You, mm -hmm. you know, no mm -hmm. one teaches you how to explore that on your own. And so mm -hmm. um, for, for me and, and my friends who are still in the single space where we feel like we have to create our own community of being aware, mm -hmm. of being empowered, of being in our 30s and being single and not feeling like we're leftover. You know, mm -hmm. well, we've been told our whole lives that the reason we're in this position, <laughs> this, this, this single island from which we need to be saved mm -hmm. is because we weren't virtuous enough. But I'm mm -hmm. not willing to put my pleasure, my desire, mm -hmm. my humanity to the side to earn a a man you know and I get so sad when I hear or see black women talk about oh it was a soul tie and it ruined my life and it was all of these mythologies that they have created mm -hmm. around what's ultimately just emotional trauma so it's interesting and I'm glad you brought that up and let, so let's unpack some of the ideas that we are given uh, when it comes to 
Bible and sexuality, right? So um, uh, I think the guy's name, Michael Todd, what's his name? That, that oh, name? God. Okay, good. I, that's his name. I got his name right. We're doing I well. I think okay. so. I think that's it. We're talking about the same person. Yeah, okay. I think that's it. Okay. So he has um, kind of used the idea of, and, and it, again, it's, it's not a biblical principle and it's not uh, a biblical teaching. Um, it is a, it's biblical language because it's in the Bible, um, but he's not, he doesn't, he, he made a institution out of a single word. Okay, so the idea of soul tie uh, is, is not a gospel idea. Okay, it's not something um, that is reflective of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not uh, reflective on unto grace or redemption or forgiveness or any of those things that are, that are virtuous and at the core of Christianity. It's just not. Um, uh, uh, people have sex and sex creates connections. Um, those connections can be deep, um, but your entire soul makeup, your nephish, as the, the word soul is for Hebrew, is not connected to somebody because you have sex. Now, here's the other part. Um, <laughs> the Bible says, and then Jonathan's soul was tied to David. If you want to use the phrase soul tie, you have to also consider who it was used for, Ooh. right? These were two men who had a deep um, love and appreciation for one another. Now, um, queer theologians would posit that they were gay and that's okay right that's i don't think that that's i i would think that that's something that um you would you can infer from that information um jonathan literally gives david his sword he uh gives david his allegiance uh jonathan's father is the king but then he finds himself to be um preferred or uh to um to um give allegiance to David over his father, right? So these are things uh, that would be more reflective of lovers. And a marriage. Than, right. So again, even if you're going to use the language or the nomenclature of soul tie, you would also need to consider the context in which it was- It was used. Right, which was between two men. Right. And so then if you want to say soul tie, you would have to say the first soul tie was between two men which would then decouple uh, some of the issues that you would have around queer people, gay people, trans people. Um, because again, you're, you're, you're made, you made a biblical institution out of something that was referenced once. So again, first, soul ties don't exist. Um, the second thing is uh, because of the context of the Bible, women are viewed as property. And so sex is also viewed as property. Mm. This has nothing to do with emotional uh, whether, connection, physical right, pleasure. Love, love. It doesn't have anything to do with love. It has everything to do with property. And so when we have these ideas of sin when it comes to sex, we have to unpack what's the sin. The sin is abuse of property. Again, think about the context. 
a woman is effectively purchased. A man um, has a wife, and that's his. It's almost, I mean, effectively in the Old Testament, it is a blood contract, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the language of adultery, the, the, uh, the language of fornication, the language of sex outside of marriage is contractual. Mm. Now, we can't use that contract today. Our worlds are completely different. Right. Our understandings are completely different. Right. The things that we desire for, like, again, the idea of, um, of, of love, romantic love, is not something that occurs until the late 1500s, 1600s. That's what I was going to say. I was listening to a podcast. I listened to many podcasts. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about the evolution of what marriage is mm-hmm. was blah, blah, blah. and they were talking about just even the impact of like Jane Austen novels mm-hmm. where marriage was transitioning from um contractual power mm-hmm. exchanges a, a way to even honestly a way to build community in a, in a lesser mm-hmm. sense like mm-hmm. if you're looking you know at people who weren't a part of the noblehood you know and it was just like these farmers really need to get together so everybody can Uh you know Uh like that's kind of a good thing ain't gonna not that but say when we get to where people start marrying for love and fulfillment Uh and and that part and then that breeds like this fairy tale idea Uh of love Uh and it's not until very recently that we start even coming coming out of that where it's you shouldn't be looking at your partner to be your end all be all every single thing that's why God gave us community so that mm-hmm. we can spread our needs out amongst each other in terms of that emotional mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. fulfillment where I, I I stumble a bit as like a, a Christian woman from the south I even struggle to call myself a Christian because I don't feel like I'm I just think it's been a bastardized word well, here it is, and this is this is one of the things that we have um, wrestled with. When you make sex the key identifier, or let me say, when you make the absence of sex the key identifier of a person's faith tradition and faith convictions, you bastardize what it is that your faith is about, right? So when I say that you're a Christian because you don't have sex, that means you completely invalidate 99% of people who have been Christians, uh, 99% of uh, the, the gospel, uh, 99% of uh, people that we have known to be, uh, as my mama would say, sainted, right? That we have uh, looked at in uh, in um, in eyes of, uh, of, okay, we good. In eyes of achievement, I'm in a mall park. It, it don't matter. Anyway, so uh, it, it bastardizes that, that entire experience, right? Um, because we don't consider the core ethics and values that the gospel gives us, we simply uh, demean and distill it down to this one thing. You are a Christian if you don't have sex. And my question then becomes, well, where did Jesus say that? And let me go a little further. Um, a person who is a sex worker was the preferred company of the Christ. That's two. 
let me go a little further. After Jesus left them, they were still sex workers. They went right back to what they were doing. Why? Because that's their life. That's how they made money. That's how they survived. That's how they lived. And in order for us to honor uh, the gospel, to honor our faith with any significant uh, type of, um, uh, of, of appeal, it requires us to uh, re-centralize, refocus upon the virtues and values of Christ. What was the value there? Jesus is effectively trying to get us to see that what a person does does not determine their worth to me. And so this person who is a sex worker uh, is not less than a person who is not a sex worker or a person who goes to church or a person who do doesn't go to church or a person who has had sex before marriage or a person who does, um, you know, who is uh, effectively asexual. Their value is not determined upon the decisions of their private parts. That's so if something that I, I kind of got labeled like the problematic person in church because I was asking the question of, you know, the, the central idea uh, or one of the central ideas of marriage from that that fairy tale perspective of there's only one person for you and all that is that mm -hmm. you're not a whole person until you meet your 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 other person and I was like well that don't sound right because if you're telling me that I was fearfully and wonderfully made and God has a purpose for my life am I not intended to be a whole person when that person comes along and I was then told oh you've just been single too long so that's why you're asking that question. Okay. That's what the pastor told me. And I was like, oh, so this is somehow like it, it became, again, the shame, the shame mm -hmm. kept getting compounded of, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I'm single and I'm continuing to be single because what, like explain it to me like I'm five, both things can't be true. Mm -hmm. You can't mm -hmm. tell me that I am so significant in God's eyes and I mean so much to him, but that being a certain kind of way separates me from him and further separates mm -hmm. me from being a whole person because I haven't met my person yet. Mm -hmm. Now, this is interesting because um, uh, I want to say Christopher Harris, who uh, wrote the book about um, ditching dating or don't do dating or something like that from dating, um, he, no, he said it was saying goodbye to dating or something like that. Anyway, effectively, the, the thrust of his book was um, that you are... That that God has intended someone for you. And because God has intended a particular person for you, uh, your job is to prepare and wait for uh, that which is intended for you to find you, right? A woman who finds, a man who finds a wife, find it a finds good thing. It a good thing, right? And so you're trying to be a good thing. He's trying to find a wife, right? The two folks come together. Here's the problem. Um, there is no one. There is no two. There are simply people who are making decisions towards partnership. Just people, maybe one or two or three, I don't know. I mean, things are different now, uh, who are making decisions concerning intimate partnership. Intentional, intimate, part not backdoor partnership, but you know, where you, you know, you kind of end up in a relationship. Oh, you kind of <laughs> jumped over it. No, there are two people who are intentional about intimate partnership or there are people who are intentional about its own partnership. I try to use my, I try to be careful with my language. Theology is done with a scalpel, not a hammer, and too many of us do it with a hammer. Mm. 
Yes. Right? <laughs> so um, there are people who make decisions for intimate partnership. That is in your purview as a trusted child of the divine. God does not call you slave. He calls you friend. That's textual, right? Jesus is intentional about changing the uh, language that we are used to describe ourselves in relationship with the divine. And he's intentional about that too, in order to show us that there is a trust that is given to you and that trust is called agency. And we are equipped, we are ready, we are prepared. God has empowered us to make healthy decisions for partnership, healthy decisions for our lives, and healthy decisions for our bodies, right? And so God trusts me to make good decisions for my body, which means that the good decision, and this is the rubric that I like to give people when they are uh, effectively trying to come out of uh, a lot of the evangelical talk space when it comes to body, sexuality, spirituality, is that God wants four things from us when it comes to our sexual practices. One, God wants us to be honest about them. Right, it seems simple, like be honest about it. Be honest about the things that you desire. Be honest about the things that you want. Be honest about the things that you don't want, mm -hmm. right? Be mm -hmm. honest and say that if you uh, just want to have a sexual relationship with someone, be honest about that too. Mm -hmm. Be honest and say if you would like a, uh, a deeper relationship with them, be honest about that as well. Uh, do not have a, um, a double kind of mindedness when it comes to your desires, right? Expressing what you want and what you need uh, is one is 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 the first window concerning how we understand and how we think through our sexuality outside of evangelical talk space, right? The second thing is consensual. Yeah. Be consensual, right? Even Jesus talks about it in the text. I stand at the door and what? Knock. Effectively, Jesus is saying, I do not force myself onto a people um, that either does not know or does not want the engagement. And we carry that consensuality within all areas of our lives. Our relationships are consensual, right? Our intimate partnerships are consensual. Our bodies, are, we are engaged uh, through, the, through the lens of consensuality, right? Everything that we're doing, we are trying to seek uh, enthusiastic, cons enthusiastic cons uh, sustained consent throughout the total uh, interaction and activity. Um, and so, those are those two ideas of being honest, being consensual. Um, we are to be uh, forthright. If it feels good, say it feels good. Mm. If it doesn't, say it doesn't. That's because, very hard for women. Mm -hmm, because so many of us are programmed to go along. But a part of that going along is a self-protection yes. because men are effectively, uh, have been framed or have been um, cultivated in order to push back from rejection, in order to push back from, uh, from women who affirm their own space, right? And so forthright, we have to be forthright about our desires, talking through our needs and also talking through what we don't need. That forthright place is a place of boundaries, right? That forthright place is a place of honesty as well, but it's communicative, right? I'm telling you what I need, what I expect, what I desire, right? Um, and so these are the lenses that we use when we're coming out of. Um, it, it's, a, it's an entirely different set of calculus, 
it's an entirely different sexual calculus when it comes to um, divorcing or uh, extracting the idea of my sexual self and my spiritual self are not two beings, are not two entities, are not two diverging um, vessels, but I am one and my whole person needs to be cared for. My whole person needs to be um, attended to. Uh, my, my spiritual garden, my emotional garden, and my physical garden, right, needs to be cared for. Um, and so that is a, those um, particular windows allow, require practice, Yeah. right? So you don't move from, uh, and again, I grew up holiness. I get all of it, right? Um, holiness and Southern Baptist tradition are, if Southern Baptist is the middle, holiness is at the end. We don't do none of that. No, you ain't supposed to look at somebody with lust in your eyes. And matter of fact, I've been in the, I've been in the center of the prayer circle many times because it was it was in my eye. The plank was the the, the plank was in my eye, right? Um, and so it takes you practicing this language, practicing these ideas, in order to come to terms with the idea that. Your body deserve God. One God trusts you to make healthy decisions sexually, for partnership and intimately. But then, not only does God trust you to make healthy decisions, but you are not sin. Your desires are not sin. Your healthy desire, your healthy expressed desires are not sin. Mm. And so, my former LGBTQIA. Uh, brothers and sisters uh, and family, they've been taught yes. that their entire, that their sexuality makes their body sin. And I'm going to tell you, I, 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 I shudder to say this because I never want to feel like I'm taking ownership of someone else's experience, but I have always felt that way as a woman. I have mm -hmm. always felt that if you start developing early, uh, mm -hmm. early, whatever that means, um, that just your beat prayer cloths in church mm -hmm. pulling people what are they covering right yeah you're you right. are taught and i have this ongoing joke that you are taught from out the womb that your womb is a place of shame so when you go places to take care of your womb you still operate from a shame space your gynecologist right. is always telling you to scoop down further this is right. what she do. She does right. this all day and you are ashamed to let her right. do what she needs to do she because does. you have been taught to hide yourself your whole life. And I feel like as women, cis women, we have been taught that our mm -hmm. own body is sin. Someone desiring mm -hmm. your body is sin. And you, I know I definitely went through a phase where I was trying to turn that off. Mm -hmm. It felt like my existence was wrong. And, and this is, see, this is the other part that we don't actually um, help people to understand. When you teach people a sophomore ethic, that's not something that goes away. People do not escape or grow out of sophomoric ideas concerning their body. When you teach somebody that their body is shameful, that their body is sinful, that their body is wrong, that their desires are wrong, that their needs are wrong, that the things that they want or fulfillment is wrong. When you teach people that, that becomes, that software becomes their hardware. Yes. 
And so when software becomes hardware, your physical body begins to react based upon the intellect that you have already been deposited. And the only way to reverse hardware that comes from software is to get new software and allow that software to become hardware, right? Mm -hmm. It's a new teaching. It's a learning and unlearning, mm -hmm. right? But that is, see, this, one of the reasons why I am, I don't, I can, I don't have to be as vocal as I am about the body, about sensuality, about uh, pleasure on, on social media. I don't. Effectively, it, I mean, I am in a very traditional type of church. I'm a, in a very traditional denomination. I am intentional about talking about desire because very few people are, and very few people in the Black church are, and especially very few Black pastors are talking about the importance of healthy desire and spirituality. Yes. And so in order for me uh, to um, be the vanguard for people who have reclaimed their body, reclaimed their spirituality, reclaimed their sexual decisions and desire and pleasure, it requires somebody being brave. It, it's costly. It's co let, me, let me just go ahead and be honest with you. It's costly. But there are so many people who are in need of, of other folks saying, okay, listen, I'll go first. Yes. I'll I go first. I, I'll be Renee Brown. Yeah. I, I have to rewatch that special all the time because being a brave person is exhausting and it is mm -hmm. isolating. Mm -hmm. And being the man in the arena, walking out of the arena by yourself and ain't nobody mm -hmm. applauding for you, it's mm -hmm. exhausting and it's fear mm -hmm. and anxiety inducing. And then for me, I always have this fear of looking like a hater. Oh, you just feel like this because you don't have what all your friends have and right. your shame. Um, I know you mentioned there were four vehicles that, that you used to, to have. Right. Um, what was the fourth one? I'm sorry. I just want to be yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I the so the first one was that we have to be honest. Yes. The second one was that we have to be consensual. The third one that was that we have to be forthright. Uh, the fourth one is that we have to be oh, wait, wait, hold on. honest, consensual, forthright. Give me one second. It's coming to me. Oh, okay. The fourth one, after we talk about being honest, being forthright, being um, consensual. Um, this is difficult. It's being reciprocitous, right? When we, I, the way that we understand, not only reciprocitous, but generous, um, God wants us to be generous, not just with our money, because we talk about tithing all the time, but our bodies are repositories of care. Our bodies are a repository of, 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 of warmth. So our people grow. We learn through the body. So generosity. Okay. But reciprocity, right? Okay. So here it is. Um, when we come into this idea of sexuality, men have been taught, and this is especially for brothers, men have been taught to get yours. Yeah. That is not a generous nor reciprocitous ethic. And so men especially have to come into, have to be taught 
to come into relationships, not to get, but to give. Mm. It's a lesson. It's mm -hmm. a lesson. Mm -hmm. It is a deconstruction of everything that our environment teaches us. Yeah. Our environment teaches us to make as much as we can, to take as much as we can, to steal as much as we can, to rise as high as we can. Our environment teaches us that it is about us. And guess what? We take those same beliefs into every one of our relationships. We want it to be about us, for us, by us. And every person that we're connected to is saying, I don't want that no more. And the problem that men have in our culture and our society uh, is that they are in, leave me alone, security man, leave me alone, security, here we go. Hi, we're doing all right, just on a Zoom call. All right, one double check, we have people parked out in the middle of nowhere. We're, we're, doing, we're doing good. All right, thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. So um, effectively, child, if you black in America, it's gonna happen. Um, so so effectively, men are taught um, to be selfish, and women, and and that selfishness was able to exist and persist because they made the most money, right? But you're living in a society where we have to move ethically and move equitably, right? So uh, if, if two people working and two people are needed to work in order to make these, you know, in order to handle all these deals, then you can't exist in a space where you're privileged. Right. But see, the framework has not been updated in most brothers. Right. To understand that now, I can't just be a getting partner. I have to be a giving partner. Mm -hmm. And that's an entirely different like spectrum and span of understanding because now uh, sisters are looking for partners who can not only uh, please them uh, intimately, but like please them emotionally, right? Um, to, to be a good partner when it comes to um, their time, to be a good partner when it comes to um, their needs, right? Like all of those, all of those other facets. It's not because it's not just about finances anymore. Because in a, a good many of us are experiencing that our the women that we are living with or the women that we are in relationship with make as much as we do or more, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so that's the tradition or, or and a trend. And so in order for us to be good partners, we have to retool ourselves. And so that goes back into the idea of reciprocity. Whatever it's a sowing and reaping principle. If I expect to reap love, I got to sow love. Yeah. Because everything that you're pulling up is what you're putting down. Yeah. And so th those are the windows that we engage our physical bodies with when it comes to pleasure and desire. So the orgasm is not the domain uh, domain of the man only. Uh, a man who desires to be in intimate partnership with a woman um, who they love, who they affirm, who they care for, need to be intimately acquainted with their orgasm and the needs of that woman to fulfill orgasm because that's about reciprocity. Yeah. If the only person who's coming is you, then that seems like that's not a good good deal at all. Yeah. Right. And, and then the intimidation factors that come in with sexual practices, uh, with sexual desires, with things that they find to be, which uh, a woman or a partner finds to be uh, desirable. Both of those things are things that must be considered when it comes to uh, a man's ego, 
oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, whatever, so forth and so on. No, this is my partner, this is what they need, and I share in reciprocity. I'm not only taking, but I'm giving. And really and truly, if I'm going to be honest with you, because I have gone about my about this life as the head, I should lead in giving. Mm. In every area of my life, I should lead in giving. I should go first in giving. I should go first in care. I should go first in compassion. But see, we have to re- we have it's a reteaching. Yeah. It's yeah. an unlearning. Yeah. Right. Because we expect somebody to serve us. But if I'm gonna be the head, that means I got to do what? Serve, serve others first. First. Yeah. first. Serve first. Right. Serve first. And it changes the entire dynamic of the relationship when you understand yourself as a as the chief servant, the first servant, and 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 the and your partner is the recipient of a generous part. Okay. So I, I'm not to let you go to wrap up that very big question. When you speak with people of any identity, what have you, their first step into combating or confronting, confronting mm-hmm. that shame, mm-hmm. you, you feel are those four pillars approaching it. Through oh, those yeah. four pillars. Okay. Yeah, so okay. you definitely um, honesty, consent, forthright, reciprocity, and generosity. Right, those are the four things that we that that are the four windows in order for us to think through spirituality attached to sexuality. Okay, that's so helpful. I love. Let me tell you something. I love a bullet point. <laughs> I love a bullet that's why, point. That's why I had to come up with it, right? Because. I needed to find ways in my own life and my, because again, I'm in a, a new relationship, um, but I was married for years and then I got divorced and I had to find ways in which I was going to say, okay, wait, I am not going to play games with nobody else. I'm not going to say you the one. I'm not going to say God told me nothing. Um, if I want to be with you physically, I'm going to just let you know. Yeah, it's, it's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I needed to find a way to approach and engage uh, this with integrity. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. I want as a person, just really quickly, um, having to really confront the extent to which I was obviously not knowing that I was co-creating this emotional abuse in my life. That was something I had to confront of like, well, I want to move forward and holding those two things at the same time is hard this wasn't your fault but you can co-create these things my therapist mm-hmm. really had to work with me on it but moving mm-hmm. forward I want to handle myself with greater care I want to handle I want to make sure that I'm making emotionally spiritually sound decisions moving forward not mm-hmm. from a punitive way not because I'm trying to prevent I thought that the the emotional trauma I was enduring was punishment for not being virtuous but mm-hmm. to, to take that part out of it. No, just to be emotionally responsible to myself, regardless of what that other person does, I need to handle myself with integrity. Right. And with right, care right, and with compassion. Right, right. And no one has ever given me that framework of how you can do that moving mm-hmm. forward. It's what well, you already used up and don't continue to get used. Right. And so this this helps us to identify language that's been used inappropriately, right? Yeah. Um, even the idea of virtue as a as a um, extension of 
the decisions you make for your body is an inappropriate use of the word virtue. Mm. Virtue is not based upon the decision, like your your consensual decisions for care and pleasure. Virtue is in how you respond to your neighbor, right? In order for us to be good, quote unquote, Christians, Jesus asked a foundational question. He doesn't ask, you know, are you a virgin? Or he didn't ask, are you married? And he didn't ask, did you wait? He didn't ask that. In order for us to have a workable uh, understanding of virtue as a Christian, Jesus asked, how's your neighbor doing? Mm. I know how you how you care, quote unquote, about the appearance, quote unquote, of yourself, of your body, of your sexual decisions in community. But Jesus is not asking about that. Jesus is asking, do you care enough about your neighbor to take your resources and bless them like you bless yourself? Got it. Now, if you want to be a good Christian, come up off that bread. Right. Make sure that they have somewhere to eat, somewhere to sleep, somewhere to be roof over their head. Make sure that their health care is, is taken care of. Make sure that they, they're emotional, like somebody is listening to them. Make sure that they are seen. Make sure that they are firm. Make sure that they're loved, right? All of these things are asking you as a person to come out of yourself and serve somebody else. Watch this. This part is the part that I love that you may not feel as if it's on your same level. Yeah, that's to, community. Right, to decouple this idea of, of, of stratus, to decouple this idea of tier, to decouple this idea of social hierarchy, to say, I am the servant of all. That's, yeah. the, Christian, that's, the, that's the goal, the role, and the aim of the Christian in creation is to be the servant of all. We are helpful in all places. That mm -hmm. we are virgins or that we don't have orgasms or we don't use sex toys or yeah. all that. Again, all, these are all things that I'm saying forthrightly because I want people to understand your sexuality, your sexual decision, your consensual sexual decisions are yours. God gives them to you. That is something that God trusts you with, right? But if you really want to know if you're a good Christian, ask the billionaire what he does with his, with his money. Right. Ask the millionaire the decisions that he makes with his money. Right. Ask the person who has, you know, uh, more than enough what they do with their additional their resources excess. right right gotcha okay i'm gonna let you go i know you have stuff to do thank you so much for this this was so 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 helpful hopefully i get this story picked up but if not i'm just gonna put it on my own platform i pitched it to a big publication so we'll see <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> all right well it was nice to talk to you jessica wilkins you as well and i will absolutely forward you any you know links whatever happens i'll send you the cool. all right thank I'm ready. you have a good one. Bye. Bye.